Timothy, and just we're going all over the Bible this morning. So, uh, come on. God, thank you for your word. Um, we just want to know your heart. We want to know you all the more. Thank you, Lord. We, again, we come uh, on our face to, to hear you, to know you. Uh, we're believing that we're going to live in the strength of the Lord today. Um, God, for you have called us to seek you on our face, Lord, that we may stand on our feet. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, the days are here and days are coming uh, where we must have strength, Lord, and that strength is found on our knees. The strength that we need comes from you. God, I pray that we'll never fight in our own strength, but we would fight in the strength that God gives us. God, we would stay in grace. The grace of God would be released towards us. Lord, for you give grace to the humble, but you resist the proud. And so we're coming this morning as your humble servants, as your sons and daughters, asking to hear your voice, asking to hear you, to know you, to see your face. We want to know your heart this morning. We want to leave our pride and our arrogance, Lord, to the side. We take it off and lay it at your feet. We want to be like children when we come to you, open, ready to learn, ready to accept, ready to know your heart and will. So we just believe your blessing upon every person this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you're taking notes, this sermon title may throw you a little bit. It's called No Pleasure. Most of you would think, well, that's Christianity. No, there is pleasure in being a Christian. I can tell you that right now. If there wasn't, I would not be here. And uh, I always remember when I got, got saved, my, my friends, they just couldn't understand it because I, was, I, I believed I was the life of the party. Kelly may attest to that, but I was, I was the life of the party. I could cut some shapes on the dance floor, don't you worry. And <laughs> when I got saved, uh, people couldn't understand, why would you substitute this life and pleasure and, 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 and so-called happiness for some kind of um, religion that takes away your personality and your sense of humor? <laughs> Have a look around the room between now, I'm joking. <laughs> it doesn't. Um, he's actually life. He's life and more abundant. And uh, when you become a Christian, you don't become boring. And uh, if you are, you've done it wrong. Uh, when you become a Christian, you don't have the pleasures of the world, but you find incredible pleasure in who God is. You find life in it more abundantly. You actually become alive on the inside. There should be more life in you than what there was here because you were spiritually dead. Now you're spiritually alive. And so I find pleasure in the Lord, being with the Lord, reading His Word, just worshiping God. Even this morning, I'm just like, this is so pleasurable to worship God. And uh, you can enjoy His presence. So please don't let this title throw you. But I want to talk about the heart of God, what God finds no pleasure in. And so we're going to go to Ezekiel 18, 23 in the English Standard Version. I've been reading uh, the Bible in a year. I'm nearly finished. And uh, it's just been so healthy to read old Psalms, Proverbs, and new. And amazingly, I was reading Hosea the other day. And if you were looking for kids' names, there's some beautiful kids' names in the book of Hosea. The prophet had a kid. He says, I want you to call this kid No Mercy. <laughs> What a great name. <laughs> the second kid, the second kid's name was Not My People. And uh, <laughs> amazing. But anyway, so then I'm reading through 1 Peter today. And then Peter's literally saying the same words. Uh, to no mercy, there will be mercy. To not my people, you will be my people. He's literally quoting the prophet Hosea. And I'm thinking, and I look out on my deck and I, and I look at the mountains and I'm like, God is not a random God. God has, has, is intentionally orchestrated all these things that you have a prophet in the Old Testament and then a New Testament apostle declaring the same words 
And you can just see Jesus all the way from Genesis right through, and he's just pointing all the time, and it's just beautiful. So anyway, this is the Lord speaking to uh, the prophet Ezekiel. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live. Someone say, no pleasure. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live. Ezekiel 18, 31 to 32, cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of, someone say that word with me, death of who? Anyone. God has no pleasure in the death of anyone. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord. But He would rather find pleasure when we turn from our wicked ways so that we may live. Amen. You know, I know where I'm going this morning. Ezekiel 33, 11, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and what? Again, live. Can you understand the heart of God is to get us from death to life. It brings God no pleasure that the wicked would die in their sin. <laughs> it brings God no pleasure that the wicked would die in their sin. It brings pleasure to God when someone who is wicked repents that they may live. God's heart rejoices when someone turns from their wickedness to live. Sometimes I believe we have a, a weird warped perception of what pleases God. Sometimes I believe that we think that it pleases God when the wicked fall into calamity. Well, we can see right here in the book of Ezekiel, and we're going to see it in Timothy, and we're going to see it in Luke, and we're going to see it all through the Bible. God takes no pleasure. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He takes no pleasure in it. He is not thinking, man, this is awesome. I can't wait to kill that person. Even the wickedest person, God is not saying, I cannot wait to pour out my wrath. <laughs> Some of us have a view of God like that. And I'm not saying that God does, is not a just judge. I'm saying he don't take pleasure in it. We think that God gets off on it. We think that God really enjoys punishing the wicked. Ezekiel is telling us a whole different story, right? 1 Timothy 1. Verse 12 to 17, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly, ignorantly. <laughs> that was good, eh? That was good. Come on. In unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed with me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy. Come on, this is Paul talking to his spiritual son, Timothy. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of half acceptance. Full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why is he coming to the world to save sinners? Because he takes no pleasure in the perishing of the wicked. Jesus Christ came into the world. This is why I love Christmas. This is why I love Christmas because everyone gets off the weird stuff and they get back to Jesus being sent. God sending his son for God so loved the world. He sent his only son, and I love, I, I, I get set on fire when we get talking about this stuff because we're going to get to share the gospel with people tonight 
who are going to come from the community, and they've heard about this angry God that they think wants to punish them, and they're going to hear about a God who takes no pleasure in it, but he takes pleasure when they repent and come to him. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Come on. Uh, this, is, this is deserving of full acceptance. that Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners, of who I am the foremost. Come on. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. I love Paul saying, guys, if Jesus can save me, he can save you. God's grace to me is to show his patience that I'm a blasphemer, that I'm persecuting the church, that my life pre-Jesus was not a good life, but if he can save me, he can save you. If he can save me, he can save you. I am the foremost. I am the foremost sinner. I am the chief, in other translation, the chief sinner. But God chose to save me. What he's trying to say here is that Jesus Christ came to save everyone. And if he can save me, he can save you. That Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example of those who will believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever Amen. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for some people. For all people. Isn't this a beautiful gospel? That the blood of Jesus has paid the price for all people. So if you want to know who, 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 who God wants to save, if you're praying, God, show me who you want to speak to, you can just go with all people. Should I share the gospel? God's up in heaven saying, all people. Should I tell them about Jesus? All people. Are, are you sure? Yeah, yeah, even this one? Yeah, all people. Are you sure? Because that kind of mean to me. All people. All people. All people. Come on, he's come to save all people. All right, Proverbs 24, 17, 18. Here we go. Here's a proverb for you today. Rejoice not when your enemy falls. And let your heart not be glad when he stumbles or is overthrown. Lest the Lord see it, and it be evil in his eyes, and displease him. And he turn away his wrath from him to expend it upon you, the worse offender. Amazing. What are you trying to say this morning, Corey? God takes no pleasure in the downfall of the wicked. God takes no pleasure in a spirit that says, ha, 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 you got what was coming to you. Proverbs actually says that that kind of heart and intention and lens is actually a greater evil to celebrate the downfall of the wicked. Why? Because Jesus Christ, this is a faithful and trustworthy saying, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. So why would I rejoice and take pleasure over the downfall of the wicked when God takes no pleasure in the downfall of the wicked? I've been around Christian circles for a long time, and I've been through the movement of pray them out. <laughs> There's someone around, and a business has moved into town, and we're going to get together, and we're going to pray them out. In my mind, that is twisted in the sense of, yes, we should be praying for them, but we should be praying for the salvation. Because <laughs> God takes no pleasure in the downfall of the wicked. But he does take pleasure when the wicked repent and turn from their ways that they may 
live. Guys, when people turn from their sin and live, God's like, this is awesome. This is incredible. All heaven rejoices over one soul. All heaven gets pumped up when one person, a wicked person, by the way, repents and comes to Jesus, all heaven goes bananas. Incredible. Now, I hope that we have the same perspective and we don't go bananas when a wicked person falls. Because sometimes our prayer life has been praying for the downfall of the wicked. Then when the wicked fall, we're like, awesome. But Proverbs says, you're in the greater evil. You're in the greater evil because I'm not praying for the downfall of people. I'm praying for people to repent, come to know Jesus, that they may live. Because God takes no pleasure in the downfall of the wicked. Amen, amen. I could go specific to this morning, but hopefully I don't have to. Because when, if we're getting into praying for the downfall of leaders and praying for the downfall of, of certain people and we think that that's godly, I believe you need to repent. It's a greater evil. If we're praying for our leaders, and we're going to see this in Timothy, we're praying for salvation. We're praying for, a, on my donkey, Jesus shows up, kicks a soul off a donkey, and they become Paul. That's the, that's, the, that's the perspective and the correct biblical lens of how we're meant to pray for people. We are praying for the salvation of everyone, including kings, prime ministers, politicians, neighbors. We are praying for their salvation. Why? Because God takes pleasure in a wicked repenting and coming to life. God is not saying, I wish you would pray that I would smite them. Then I'll be happy. I know we're laughing, but some of us have this perspective that God is just waiting. He's just like that old school dad with the belt, just waiting. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait to give you a hiding. I cannot wait. Oh, keep praying, church. I'm gonna get them. I'm gonna get them. He does wanna get them, but he wants to get them saved. <laughs> You know, with me this morning. I'm just trying to bring a biblical perspective. I know this could be hard for some people, but I just want to preach the Bible because it does not bring God any pleasure. And if you think this is bringing God pleasure when you're praying for the downfall of the wicked, you've missed his heart. Grieves the heart of God that people would perish in sin. Says that God's heart is that not one would go to a lost eternity. God is not up there saying, yes, 3,000 people went to hell today. And so they should. He sent his only son that no one would have to go there. Do you think now that he sent his only begotten son, purely light, no sin in him whatsoever, becomes a substitute for the wicked, did everything he can that no one would go to a lost eternity, and now all of a sudden he's like, I'm stoked people are going to hell. It brings him no pleasure when the souls of human beings Go to a lost eternity. He came to save the wicked. He came to save the wicked. He takes no pleasure in the loss of souls, but he brings, it brings God great pleasure when people come to him. Amen. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Do we even understand the lengths that God went to? This is why I love the Christmas story. 
the lengths God went to to save humanity. It makes no sense that he would go through those lengths and then be stoked to punish and send people to hell. He has done everything he can by sending his son that no one needs to go to a lost eternity. Now, we understand that God is a God of justice and God is true. And if you don't repent of your sin, yes, unfortunately, it's a lost eternity you're going to. But that's your choice, not God's. And God is not celebrating over you if you go there. <laughs> Does this make sense? Sorry, I'm just trying to be super honest. God loves you. God's made a way, but you still have a choice. All right? Hence the reason we need to preach the gospel, so people can make a decision, right? Because how can they choose if they've never heard? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. But how can they hear if no one preaches? How can they hear if no one shares the gospel? How do they hear if no one's sent? How beautiful was the feet of those? Yeah? It grieves God's heart that people perish in sin. It brings God great pleasure and joy when people give up their wicked ways and turn to Him. I just want to stretch you a little bit further today, but it says that it pleased God to bruise His Son. That's crazy. Talking about pleasure today, it pleased the Father to bruise His Son. Why? So that no person would have to go to a lost eternity. It pleased God to bruise His perfect only Son to be a substitute for our sin. It pleased Him to do that, knowing that there would be a way for every single person to come back into relationship with God. We see this heart in Ezekiel. We've seen this heart in Timothy. We've seen this heart in the Gospels. He died to make a way for us. It pleased God to bruise His Son. Why? That people would not perish in their wickedness but would have a chance to turn back to Him. This is making any sense this morning. I don't know, but this is just the gospel, right? That's why in Timothy's context, he says to pray for anyone. Let's go to 1 Timothy 2. This is just after he's just said that this is a trustworthy and faithful saying, just in case you think it's my opinion and not in the Bible. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for... Ooh, that's very inclusive. <laughs> It's very inclusive. Why is there not a bracket there and different, you know, just the righteous or just people we like? No, it's not there. It's not even there in the Amplified. It's not even there in the Passion Translation, guys. It's just not there. It just says for all people. I looked up the Greek word for all means all. All people. For kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. No one wants to hear that scripture this morning. A peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing. We're looking at what pleases God, right? Pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires, again, some people. Thank you, Pastor Paul. All people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for some. Oh, that word, it's all, it's all through there. All, 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 all. 
ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. In context of this, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, this is a faithful and trustworthy saying. Jesus Christ came to, to save everybody. He came to save sinners. Then he goes on to chapter two, which is not a separate letter, by the way. It's a continue of the first letter. Amen, Corey. And now he's saying in this context, that's why you pray for everyone. Why am I praying for everyone? Because Christ Jesus came to save everyone. Christ Jesus came to save all. So I pray for all. I pray for kings. I pray for those in high positions. I pray for my neighbor. I pray for my annoying work friend. Why? Why are you praying for them, Corey? Because Jesus came to save them. I pray for the person who ripped me off. I pray for the person who cut me off. I pray for the person who gave me some negative feedback. I pray for the person who got offended with me. I pray for the person who offended me. Why, Corey? Why are you praying for all people? Well, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And God takes no pleasure in the downfall of the wicked, but He takes pleasure when they turn from their wicked ways and come to know them. My only legitimate prayer for every person on this planet is Jesus, save them. That's our only legitimate prayer. And God will do what God will do. If someone doesn't repent and someone's acting in wickedness, God will sort that. God is, God's God. He's not going to let injustice and evil pro- prevail. But when he looks at his kids, he's like, I want you praying for their salvation. I want you interceding for their salvation. And then, and then if they don't repent and they have a fall, we're almost mourning. Why? Because it broke the heart of God. And it should break ours as well. They didn't repent. Oh, no. They died in their sin. They never got brought to life. Why would I rejoice and celebrate over that? Can I say something this morning? Please don't take this out of context because this is just so vivid in my memory and I don't want to get political about, um, about wars and stuff. But I remember being a kid when 9-11 first happened, I remember seeing the planes go into the building and then the next shot they showed on news was people in, uh, I'm not even going to name countries, but people who were part of that movement were on the streets celebrating, rejoicing. And it's an image that's stuck in my head that why would we rejoice even if it was your enemy, because Jesus says to love your enemies, why, why would you rejoice out of people dying? Why would you rejoice about families and kids and firefighters and people being murdered? And you're having a party on the street right now? I still remember that image in my mind, and God brought it to my remembrance, because sometimes as Christians, we're doing that too. The business that ripped us off went under. Well, they got what was coming to them. Should never rip me off. They should know who my father is. Whew. Come on, that's not our seat. That's the seat of the judge. That's Jesus and Jesus alone. Our heart is, God, they ripped me off. Can you save them? <laughs> I just pray for them. I pray they come to know you. I've got like a really antagonistic friend. I'm just praying for them. I've got an antagonistic like family member. And I'm praying. I'm like, Jesus, just save them. Just, oh, come on. Just mm, save them. 
you knock them off. <laughs> In your loving kindness, knock them off and blind them with your light, you know. Because that's my own legitimate prayer. And do you know what that does? It, it, this is sort of tailing in with last week. It keeps me humble. It keeps me on my face praying and interceding, especially for those who I don't get on with, especially for those that have hurt me. I, 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 I can't afford to get in a proud, arrogant attitude saying God's going to smite you. No, God has no pleasure. And that, God has pleasure when we turn and repent and they come to life. Got to make sure you keep your heart soft, friend, especially in the day that we're living in. There is a lot of hardness of heart. And it's legitimate because we're angry and we're annoyed and that shouldn't be happening. And, and I get all those things. I'm not belittling it. But if I start switching into I'm the eternal judge, I've missed it. I'll pray for that person to turn. I'll be on my knees. That's a legitimate prayer before the Lord. God, I'm praying for the salvation of that leader. Open her eyes. His eyes. Their eyes. <laughs> All eyes. Come on, because it's for everyone. It's for everyone. Come on. It's just biblical to, set, to pray for everyone. That's what, that's what Paul is trying to tell him his spiritual son. Hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to be with the Lord. You're going to be running the church, and I need to know you a few, I need you to understand a few foundational things. Jesus Christ came to save everyone, and you should be praying for everyone for that reason. Come on, Jesus. We want to see revival. We're going to be praying for people's salvation. That's what it is. That's what it is. That's what it looks like. Come on. Did I do, did I do 1 Timothy? I did. Did I do 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 to 6? Got three minutes 30. Is that a countdown clock? You guys are giving me no time this morning. Okay. So that you got what's coming to your spirit is evil in the sight of the Lord. It's actually a greater wrong. Um, right. Okay. Yeah, I'll skip all that. I'm skipping a lot of stuff here, guys. Probably best that I'm skipping it, to be honest. <laughs> okay, so I want to switch it slightly. Let's look at what God actually finds pleasure in. And I think the best way we can do that this morning, we've seen his heart. His heart, he takes pleasure when people repent. Come on. Amen. And, uh, and so we're just going to have a look at some things. And I thought we could look at his son, whom he says he's well pleased. His name is Jesus. So let's just look at a few things. I'm just going to list this off. A few things that, that Jesus did that brought pleasure, pleasure to the Lord. And one of those things that Jesus did, he saved the lost. Come on, he saved the lost. When, when people get saved here, there, and everywhere, it brings God so much joy. It brings so much joy when someone repents and comes to Jesus. We just need to understand that. Uh, Jesus healed the sick. Do you much pleasure it brings God when the sick are healed? Nope, okay. This is the Son of God who the Father said, I am well pleased. Look at his lifestyle and look what he's doing. Look what's bringing the Father pleasure. Jesus did not say to anyone in sickness, stay in sickness, you're bringing pleasure to my Father. Theology time with Corey. I'm not a theologian, but I read my Bible. If you can show me a scripture where Jesus said to a sick person, this sickness is glorifying God. It's bringing God pleasure to see you suffering. It's bringing God pleasure that you're dying. No. If that was the case, Jesus wouldn't have healed the sick. He would have said, just keep going. You're doing a good job for God. God's really pleased. You're going to be in heaven soon. 
Don't take my word for it. Just read the Bible. Come to me with your scriptures, but I won't see you because they're on it. Cleansing the lepers. Jesus cleansed the lepers. He made the unholy holy. That brought great pleasure to the heart of God. Can you see what's happening here? Lost, sick, lepers. He came to set the captives free. Those who are in darkness, those who have no idea where they are, those who are stumbling around the dark, those who are in chains of addiction and bondage, those who are spiritually blind, he came to set the captives free. That's what brings pleasure to the heart of God, showing grace, showing mercy, revealing the Father to people, reconciliation and families and marriages and relationships brings pleasure to God. You forgiving someone brings pleasure to God. Did you know that? You choosing to forgive brings pleasure to God. Jesus says, love your enemies. He says, <laughs> the lads come to him and say, how many times have I got to forgive people? 70 times seven, don't work that out. It's not meant to be an actual number. It means you just keep forgiving. Just keep forgiving. That brings pleasure to the heart of God. When you are wronged, when you are wronged, and you, even I was reading about this in Peter. When you're wronged unjustly and you, and you live with it in silence and offer it up to the Lord, it says it brings pleasure to the heart of God but it brings no pleasure if you've been punished for sin. But if you have been treated unjustly and you are choosing to lift the unjust person up before the Lord, that brings great pleasure before God. We all know the saying, pray for your enemies, right? Yeah, it's actually biblical to pray for people who wrong you. It brings great pleasure to God. Jesus, He binded up the brokenhearted. Man, he says, a bruised reed he will not snap. God is so gentle yet so powerful. But if someone comes to him bending, he will not break them. He's kind. He's compassionate. He's loving. He's merciful. And it brings him pleasure to see the brokenhearted bind it up. Amen. The Bible declares that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. What did we just see Jesus destroy? Sickness. Cleanse lepers. Raise the dead. Set the captives free. Come on, that's what brings God pleasure. Do you wanna know what brings God pleasure? When we destroy the works of the devil. It'd be another whole message to understand what the works of the devil are. But you can see everything Jesus did, he was destroying works of the devil. Yep. So here's my recap. Stop praying for the downfall of people and start praying for the downfall of sin in your life. Stop praying for the downfall of people and start praying for the downfall of sin in your life. First, remove the speck, the plank out of your own eye. Then you can take out the speck of your brother's eye. What am I saying? Stop praying for the downfall of people. Stop praying for people's salvation. Stop praying for the blind to see, the deaf to hear. Stop praying for the lepers to be cleansed. Stop praying for the lost to be found. Stop praying for people to be forgiven and show mercy and show grace. Start praying for reconciliation. Start praying for healthy marriages. Start praying for all those things. Amen? Come on. Start praying for addiction to come off. Start praying for apathy to be torn off. Start praying and walking in holiness. We're so fixated on everyone else's wickedness, but we're not walking in our own holiness. What does holiness look like? Holiness looks like praying for your enemies. God, I thank you for this salvation. Even though they're doing wicked things, I pray, Lord, I'm not praying for your blessing upon them. I'm not praying that they will continue. I'm praying that you would save them. Woo, that's a strong prayer. That's a prayer the Lord will listen to, I believe. 
Start forgiving, start loving, start rejoicing, start praising. All these things bring great pleasure to God. When we live in a way where we release heaven and destroy hell, we are bringing pleasure to God. You say, well, how do I do that? When someone gets saved, they literally get plundered from hell and populated into heaven. That's why we're praying. Because we don't want the enemy having any more souls. We want to give them to the one who purchased them. His name is Jesus. And so we are praying for the salvation of our city. We are praying for the salvation of our nation. We are praying for the salvation of our leaders. That is our only legitimate prayer. God, save our city. Save our nation. Save our government. Not downfall, 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 downfall. Smite, 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 smite. No. Brings God no pleasure when people perish in their sin and in their wickedness. It brings God great pleasure when someone repents and comes to Him. Amen? Luke 5, 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Him. Amazing, guys. Who's drawing near to Him? Sinners. Well, I'm looking forward to the day when a sinner feels drawn to this place. We'll be shocked if they walk in the door because we're praying for them to go away. (laughs) Can I just go there with you? If we are believing for our city, we're going to have wicked sinners walk in this room. And it's going to matter how you see them. And it could be someone who messed with you during the week. Do you know, hmm, touching so many holy cows this morning, but... You know, like the gossip, someone walks in. Do you know who that person is? Do you know what they've done? Do you know what they said to me last week? Do you know how much money they owe me? How dare you? Rejoice that they walked into the church today. Amazing. The wicked coming in, repenting. God is so pleased right now. God's stoked. Look at his face. He's so happy. And we're like, oh, I don't know. Shouldn't they pay for what they did? Well, you didn't have to. (laughs) Thank God I didn't have to. I had a pretty big bill. Thank you, Leo. By the grace of God, I could quite often stand up here and say I'm the chief of all sinners. I was raised a Christian. I knew better. I can't even say I was ignorant. I was just rebellious. God chose to save me. Wow. Thank you, God. I hope I'm going to show that same mercy to the other people who walk in the room or else I'm just a special case. Kelly would say I'm a special case, but. <laughs> so the sinners came to him. This man receives sinners and he eats with them. So they told him this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, church, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven. This is where we're going to have to humble ourselves, guys, because we think heaven's really happy with us right now. But there's an even bigger party when a sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I believe God's pleased. I'm not saying that God's upset with us. I believe God is pleased. But we need to have an understanding of how pleased and how much pleasure it brings God when a lost person comes comes in to know Him. That's incredible. It actually brings God pleasure. It brings God pleasure when people come to Him. Last last scriptures, you guys can play the keyboard and I'll go for another 20 minutes. 
Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up. This is the prodigal son, right? No, it's not. It's not the prodigal son. Why haven't I got the prodigal son in there? The elder brother did not rejoice over the prodigal son coming home. He was quite happy with the downfall of his brother because it meant more for him. And when the father seen the lost son coming, what happened to him? He, he rejoiced. He took pleasure that his lost son had returned. What did he do? He put a ring, a robe, blessed him, reinstated him as a son. And most of us struggle with that concept because we can't understand. I've had conversations with people in there. I think, well, he should come back to the farm and he should work and just make sure it's legit, pay his dues. And then if he, you know, if he does right for a while, then, you know, yeah, he, he can get a ring, I guess. Once he's paid it back. That's our version of the story. It offends us because we don't like that someone would get off with something. Because we think God's heart is pleased to punish someone. We, we would like to see people grovel. and Sometimes even our repentance message is a little bit twisted. We, we like to see people grovel before the Lord. We like to see them pay for what they did. That doesn't bring God any pleasure. Genuine repentance does. It's a returning to Him. The son had a speech prepared. He, he had a grovel that he wanted to present to the father. The father stopped him midway through and gave him a hug. He said, gave him a kiss. Wow. If we seen that, I hope we would rejoice and not be like, man, he got off easy. <laughs> Guys, I'm just going to, let you on a little secret. We all got off easy. We got off real easy. We, we, we didn't pay for our sin. Jesus came and did that for us. Now I feel the Holy Ghost in this room right now. That, that's the pleasure of God. That pleases God that we got off easy. It pleases God that we got off easy. Please God to bruise His Son so that we, not, we would not suffer the penalty of our wickedness, but Jesus would take it upon himself. Amazing. So the brother didn't rejoice. He was annoyed. He was upset that this person had come back in. But the father said, hey, look, you've got to rejoice. <laughs> this brings me great pleasure that he, he who was lost is now found. I'm going to finish with this scripture in Luke 9. Sorry, I'm going a little bit longer, but these, this Last week's message and this message, I, I believe, are a setup for what God wants to do next year. I believe there's going to be a great awakening. I believe that people are going to come in in multitudes to know Jesus. But it's going to take us as a church to stand. And our stand may look a little bit different than what we think. We're going to have to stand up and rejoice over sinners coming in. Because that's why we're here. That's why Jesus came. To save wicked people, you and me. That's how we got in the door. I don't know about you, but I didn't come in in a good way. I'm thankful for a church. You gave an altar call. I'm thankful for a church that had grace when I was trying to work it all out. A church that understood that the wicked being saved actually brings God pleasure. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he said, fastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messages before his face. And as they went, they entered a village 
of the Samaritans to prepare for him, but they did not receive him. Imagine rejecting Jesus. But his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? Again, please see the heart of God in this. I'm pretty sure Jesus represented the heart of God really well. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. The lads here are like, they've rejected Jesus. They've turned their back on him. We could say that about our nation. Turn their back on the Lord. And there's this stirring in their heart that this is not right. And they can't get away with this. I'm like, well, let's just call down fire. It's, they had their chance. <laughs> They're going to reject the Son of Man. We're going to, let's call it down. Let's get it going. But Jesus turned and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you're of. He's like, hear my heart. Hear my heart, James. Hear my heart, John. I did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Crisis averted. (laughs) Jesus did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Come on, God takes no pleasure in destroying lives. He takes pleasure in saving them. And I believe that if this is God's church and he's the head and we're the body, we should take pleasure in what he takes pleasure in. God takes pleasure in saving lives. He does not take pleasure in destroying lives. And so God, as we come to the end of this sermon, I believe it's more than a sermon. It's a revelation of your heart. And I believe a way that we are called to live in this day and age. Because Lord, I can see plenty of reasons to call down fire. But none of the reasons are valid. Because you did not come to destroy. You came to save. And Lord, I believe that judgment is yours and yours alone. And it even says that you put people in positions And so we're just humbling ourselves before you, genuinely. We don't agree with things that have been said and passed, but we do agree that you've come to save the lost. And so we're praying right now for our nation, Jesus. We're praying for salvation. We're praying for the turning of wickedness, the repentance that leads to you. Because your heart is that we live. Your heart is that New Zealand lives. Your heart is to save and seek that which was lost. And so God, we rejoice over the souls that have been saved, are being saved, and are going to be saved. God, we make it our full-time occupation to destroy the devil and release heaven. Because Jesus, you are manifested to destroy the works of the devil. And so God, when we see people saved, healed, delivered, set free, reconciled, forgiven, turning, repenting, 
God, it brings so much pleasure to you. And God, we want to experience pleasure for what you experience pleasure in. God, for some of us, this may be a humble prayer to just switch our heart, to pray for an enemy. God, I believe that's what we're called to do on our face. We'll let you be you, and we'll be faithful to pray for every person because we know your heart. God, we just pray over families this Christmas season. God, the ones that are wayward, the ones that have, that aren't seeing you right now, we thank you for the goodness of God leading to repentance. God, let there be conversations and seeds and watering that takes place over this season. God, even between couples that are in a rough spot in their marriage right now, there would be seeds of love and forgiveness and grace and compassion. Because your heart is for us to be together. Marriage is your idea. We will not let the devil have his way in families and marriages. That brings no pleasure to you. But reconciliation, love, forgiveness, the lost sons and daughters coming home, that brings you great pleasure. So we believe, Lord, for this season, we believe for family, wholeness, strong families, strong marriages, addiction being broken off, of individuals' lives, the uplifting of your son over the season brings you great pleasure, the worship of your saints, the sharing of the gospel. God, we rejoice. We rejoice and we thank you for the future. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us a hope and a future. God, we're going to make an intentional decision to, to rejoice, to celebrate when the lost are found, when the wicked turn from their ways. We're going to join in on that party in heaven. You did not come to destroy people's lives. You came to save them. I wonder if you're in this room, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You came on the right day. I believe you've heard the gospel. God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, but his heart is that you would turn to him and know him. I have to address this this morning. You may say, well, I'm not really a wicked person. I believe I'm a good person. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all born into sin. Some people are better at restraining and controlling themselves than others, but at the heart of humanity, we have been born into sin and we need a Savior. Even the nicest person you know still needs Jesus because our righteousness before him is no righteousness at all. 
So we need a Savior. Every single one of us in this room need a Savior. His name is Jesus. He wants to save you. He's not playing hard to get. He loves you. He's for you. I can't keep repeating and repeating, but you've heard the gospel today. Jesus came to save you. He's for you, not against you. And when you give your life to Him, all heaven will celebrate. And we will too. Because it brings God great pleasure that people come to Him. So I want to ask, is there anyone in this room who doesn't know Jesus? I'm not asking if you attend a church. I'm asking you, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Have you repented of your sin? Have you experienced the washing that comes from the Lord? It's like a heaviness that lifts. It's peace that surpasses all understanding. There's a knowing that you know that you know that I gave my life to Jesus. I am His. He is mine. I will be with Him for the Lord of eternity. If that's you and you haven't made that decision, I want to give you an opportunity just to lift your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I want to know Jesus. I want to give my life to Him. I don't know everyone in the room, but it'd be terrible to preach a message like this and not give an opportunity for people to get saved. So if that's you, just lift your hand so I can see. I'm just going to linger slightly might be uncomfortable, awkward for you, but there's beauty on the other side of this. His name is Jesus. Anyone in this place would say, yeah, that's me. Amen. Okay, hopefully you heard the heart of the Lord tonight and t- this morning, tonight. It's so dark in here, there's candles and could be any time, we don't know. <laughs> It's actually three o'clock, guys. That's what happens under the anointing. Just feels like three minutes. I know. I know that sermon felt like three minutes, but it wasn't. But anyway, just want to bless you, church. And I'm just so excited about what God has for us as a church in the future. But just got to know God's heart and just go after it. and Let God be God. And we're just going to keep our hearts soft and pure before the Lord. And God's going to move. He's going to move. He's going to move. Excited. Amen. I'm going to start praying again, so we better stop. You guys want to sing something for us?